We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna It's a good matchup down here. McCoy on the linebacker. You see it. Taylor sees it. Touchdown. But it goes to Clay. First and goal. Little chip there by the running back and a backpedaling touchdown, Andre Holmes. Second and goal at the one. Tolbert. Touchdown. Really has to do with their personnel right now. Tight end and wide receiver. McCown hit hard as he throws. It's picked off on the play. And grabbed by Micah Hyde. Finish off a five-year, $30 million contract. Second interception thrown by Josh McCown. That seals it for the Buffalo Bills. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Kevin Harlan of CBS Sports calling the Buffalo Bills victory over the New York Jets in week one. <laughs> Sole position of first place in the AFC East. I still think we're in like Narnia or something. <laughs> now, I know what you're all thinking. It's stupid to even say it, but you know what? I'm going to do it because I don't know if I'm ever going to get this opportunity again. I don't know. In your lifetime. I don't know when this season I'll get to again say the Bills are alone, uncontested, in first place in the division. So I'm going to embrace it while I got it. And how was your tailgate? Oh, guys, Sunday was phenomenal. I'm talking... We had about 30, 35 people show up. I did, you know, a couple racks of ribs. We had pulled chicken. We had uh, premium liquor while we were doing shots off the party wheel, drinking games, dips. I I don't even know. We got there at the crack ass of dawn. I mean, the sun, I took a picture and put it on Twitter. The sun was coming up over the stadium, but you could still see the glowing Bills emblem on the front of the building. And I'll tell you, I I actually, when we first got there, I had to take a beer and just take a walk to the edge of the property where we tailgate right by the field house just to breathe it all in. You know, it was a very centering moment for me. And I, I'm just I'm just so happy that regular season football is back. I mean, it feels like home over there. My thing was the after the game. After the game, Reed and I went to dinner Sunday night at my favorite watering hole, Doc Sullivan's. Packed, sat on this high-top table with another couple 
and we talked to them for like a half hour, and uh, the woman that was the woman was like, "Hey, did you guys go to the game?" And Reed's like, uh, "Yeah, I went. I was <laughs> I was there." And this whole time, had no idea that she was talking to a player. Well, I mean, when you look at Reed. Reed's tall enough to be a football player. He is. He's tall enough. He's thick enough. At the same time, when you look at him and when you see his mannerisms and just the way he carries himself, you, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy. He doesn't have that jock mentality. But I like that about him. His go-to, I know his go-to, uh, his go-to job when somebody asks him, what do you do? He'll just go, I do accounting. <laughs> oh, we love it. Guys, this weekend was great. I had a blast. Uh, I, I somehow avoided getting a sunburn around my mouth like an idiot while wearing that stupid luchador mask. God, it gets hot under that thing. Blowjobs right here. Why oh. didn't you get that sunburn mark? Why? <laughs> uh, you, you're going to Photoshop that so many different ways. But I'll tell you what, guys. As we normally do, we're going to get right into this podcast with this week's Bill's News Update. One game in the books, and the Bills are already making roster changes. Brandon Bean has literally only seen one regular regular season victory out of the Buffalo Bills, and he's already tweaking the roster, which I'm really intrigued by. Today, the Bills cut cornerback Greg Mabin from the active roster and cut pre uh, practice squad wide receiver Dekeel Shorts. Now, I don't know what it was that prompted the move, because it literally just came out of nowhere today a little bit later this afternoon. Yeah, you didn't know it until you got here, and I told you about it. I didn't even know that it was going on. But the additions that they made are kind of intriguing. First and foremost, linebacker Jelani Jenkins was signed, which seems crazy to me because, I mean, formerly of the Dolphins, he signed a contract with the Raiders this offseason, and then he was placed on IR and released with an injury settlement. Now, I don't know what the hell that means because if we just signed a guy who was put on the IR by another team... Is he healthy? Is he actually ready to play? Is he a guy that the team thinks, okay, maybe he wasn't as injured as the Raiders think he is, and we think that he can come back and fill in as a backup linebacker somewhere around week three, four, seven, eight? I have no idea. I don't know why he's here. I'm really interested to see how that plays out. My question is, whose ass is on the fire in the linebacking room yeah. to where they had to bring in Jelani Jenkins. Well, that's a good question because Jelani Jenkins, you think about what he accomplished with his career with the Dolphins. They, I think they, they drafted him in the, I think it was the fourth round they took him, and they expected him to eventually grow into at least a part-time, not, not so much a starter, but a guy who comes in and you know plays special teams and takes 30% of the, 30 to 40% of the game snaps. He never really grew into that, which is why they didn't bother retaining him. So I'm just interested to see what is it. Then if you're looking at a guy who's meant Where's to be a fit? special Where's teamer, fit? I'm wondering if they don't think that maybe Milano or maybe Vallejo needs someone to push them. Or maybe they're maybe because Vallejo had that injury. Remember, they didn't put him on IR. He's still on the active roster right now. Maybe that means that his knee prognosis isn't looking as good as we would have liked it to. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. And then on the flip side of things, we signed LSU wide receiver Malachi Dupree to replace Dekeel Shorts at wide receiver on the practice squad. He's most notably known for getting blown up 
in I, Green Bay. In I remember that. Now, he's an SEC guy, so obviously I've watched a lot of Malachi Dupree's play. And I can tell you that he's an interesting pickup. I mean, first and foremost, his size. He's six foot two, 200 pounds. And he seems to have, I mean, he played slot receiver. He played boundary receiver. He's played all over the offense. He's got a decent route tree already established. So, and, and you look at, Dekeel Shorts was a smaller guy. This is a bigger, more physical wide receiver. I think that he's got some tools that if he's cultivated properly, he could become extremely useful at the NFL level. I mean, hopefully his character, he's got good character and sticks around for the whole season on the practice squad. No, I, I, I hope so, too. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he was a teammate of our friend Reed Ferguson's. But it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out because I think that he can bring some things to the table, some size at the wide receiver position that we obviously every team would like to have size at that position. I just think he's a guy that fans should absolutely keep tabs on as the season progresses because he's one of those guys, he's got some size, he's got some ball skills, he's got a little bit of everything that you like. I mean, he was pegged as a third to fourth round draft pick. He fell to the seventh. I mean, I'm sure he has some things that are wrong with his game. But, I again, I think I like his upside just given his size. Did he have, the, so. did he have the ability to stay in school, being a seventh <laughs> rounder? Yes. Because I'm all for staying in school. And I also think that it's one of those things that you look at and you say, okay, look at our practice squad wide receivers over the last couple of years. You've had guys like Des Lewis, who clearly wasn't a competitor. And you've got Dekeel Shorts, who's undersized a little bit based on what our offense wants to be and what they want to do. I think that this guy is a great addition. I like it, Chris. Any argument there? No. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to uh, McDermott's presser to get audio for our show, and we both know that he offers nothing in a press conference. But he did say in reference to Trey White, he went to LSU. LSU is known for playing in big games. So mm-hmm. I think with Malachi Dupree playing in LSU, <clears throat> he's always he's played in big games his whole career. So the stage, I don't think it's too big for him. No, I, I don't think so at all. And then, folks, so this week, every week we debut a new beer. I try, you know, I, I, I try it. I give you my honest critique as a beer drinker. As a, I don't want to say I'm a connoisseur because that would, that would insinuate that I have a refined palate. I can appreciate a good beer, you know, a good IPA, something with some either some Cascade hops, some Mosaic hops, or I can drink PBR out of an old boot. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the most discerning fella in the entire world. But this wasn't like this wasn't a planned. Thing this thing I think this just kind of just happened out of nowhere. Every week Chris has more of this beer, and I I got to try a new one. And so this week our beer of the week is Magic Hat Jinx. It's a limited run Scotch Ale. Now last week's uh, Genesee Scotch or no two weeks two ago. weeks ago that Scotch Ale you gave me was trash. So hopefully this one's a little bit better. You know one of the guys that I work with went to the brewery in Roch and had the Scotch Ale on tap and loved it. Okay, so that's now, how I had it in my Rochester. Take, the very first sip, it's got a good mouthfeel. It's nice and malty, the way you'd want a Scotch ale to be. You can tell it's got probably got a pretty high alcohol content in it. I can't see what it is, but I'll tell you at the same time, it doesn't taste like a beer that could hurt you. Which which is the trademark of most good Scotch ales. They sneak up on you. So I'm gonna sip this thing as we break into the next point here on our news listing, which is why power rankings are meaningless. 
The Buffalo Bills are a lot like Rodney Dangerfield. We just don't get any respect. I don't even respect them. <laughs> but I was going to say, as a long-suffering fan, I, I understand a lot of what drives that. I mean, when it comes to every media outlet out there, the Buffalo Bills are the boy who cried wolf. I mean, do you guys remember when we were ranked top of the league in the power rankings when we beat the Patriots in 2011? And then we went on, what, a five or six game losing streak to miss the playoffs? (laughs) Oh, God, just talking about it hurts. It hurts. Or or how about the time that we looked like Kyle Orton was going to be the one to break the streak? And, you know, we had a top 10 defense. We had a decent running attack. Kyle Orton was being Uncle Rico, you know, just trying to sling the ball over them, their mountains. And then we fell on our faces going, heading, I mean, literally going into a game we had to win. And yet everyone outside of apparently the coaching staff and the team knew it was absolutely a trap game going out to play Oakland. They were like, oh, we just came off this monster win off Green Bay. Oh, how can we not beat Oakland? (laughs) Darius got injured and was out. And Oakland's running game went through the roof after Darius left. You know it. I know it. The whole city knows it. All I know is that when I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm a, if I'm a pundit out there who has to vote on these types of things, power rankings. Okay, if I have to vote on that, I, I I'm gonna remember that all the times that I got burned by thinking that the Bills actually had their shit together, and then they didn't. I'm gonna remember it, and it seems like everyone does. Four major media outlets. Here's the rankings. Monday Morning Quarterback from Sports Illustrated has us 26th. NFL.com has us 25th. ESPN has us at 27th. And USA Today has us at 27th in the NFL. We beat the Jets. We beat the Jets. That's not saying much. Okay. I've seen stuff flying around on Twitter, stuff flying around in Facebook groups, and I don't respond to any of it because I don't have time to argue with you people. But here's what I'll say. I can see... If after years of being proven or you know disappointed, most Buffalo optimistics, you decide not to drink the Kool-Aid anymore. You know, we've heard a lot of that this offseason. A lot of people talking about jumping off the bandwagon, how the team is tanking. Ah. But some of this stuff, there's, there's no explanation for it. According to Sports Illustrated and the Monday Morning Quarterback, 18 writers get together and vote on the list. The highest vote that the Bills received was 20th. Someone on their staff ranked them 20th in the NFL. The lowest was 31st. 31st! You mean to tell me that someone out there who writes for a living and studies football, watched Sunday's tape, looked at the scores across the NFL, and then decided that the Bills are the second worst team in the league? You're f***ing high! Are you out of your mind? And then you've got ESPN who actually dropped the Bills one spot from their preseason rankings from 26th to 27th, even though they won their game. What? <laughs> Don't, I, guys, the moral of the story here is this. I agree with all of the power rankings. <laughs> we beat the Jets. It's not saying a lot. It's like saying we beat a CFL team. 31st? I, 31st, no. Okay, okay but, but, but guess what? Some jerk-off who gets to input on this list thinks that the Bills are the second worst team in the NFL. Who the yeah, Colts? They beat, oh, okay. the, they beat the worst team in the league. So you the, get you the, get to be 31st. The Colts, the Texans, was no were, were, was nobody watching? Did they just miss that miss those games? 
you know, where one team almost got shut out, where one team had to bench their starting quarterback halfway through the first half. All of the final rankings I generally agree with. Well, that's because you're drunk. What I've learned is this, folks. Everyone there uh, that I talk to about the, the state of sports media as it stands today, everyone gets pissed off when they talk about these hack writers pumping out loads of what is commonly referred to as clickbait. Okay, that's the that's the moniker that it's been given. And I agree. I mean, I went to school for journalism, and one of the things that I hated was the fact that journalism is now more geared towards generating revenue, generating clicks, than it is on actual content that informs anybody of anything. It pisses me off. It's, it's an epidemic. And as these, I think as any of this shows you, power rankings are maybe the most mainstream version of that. So do yourselves a favor and just ignore them, okay? Ignore them and don't freak out about them. Everyone, just take a deep breath with me, grab your beer, and goose from. Goose from. Does that scotch ale still go down easy? It does. I'll tell you, I'm four or five sips in, and it's still... It tastes good, Chris. You 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 hit the part. You know, I, I generally question your taste in beer, but this one's a home run. Well, I don't like IPAs. I don't like Magic Hat. I don't like anything they make, and yet this is good. That's surprising. And then, something that's going to kind of frame the conversation as we move on with the podcast, Sunday, NFL offenses really had it, just really had it handed to them. Being in the stance of the Bills game, I'll admit to you where there was points where I was just frustrated by the Bills' lack of ability to move the ball with consistency. I mean, they did kind of have to rely on some chunk yardage to move the football instead of just methodically working the ball down the field the way you see some of the best offenses in football do. Okay, I was mad. There were times I maybe yelled. Maybe I punched the seats in frustration. But what I will say is this. During the middle of, I mean, the first half of football was ugly. I talked to the people around me, and we all bitched and complained together. But if you had told me in that moment that I should consider myself lucky, I would have laughed in your face. So going home and actually watching all the All-22 footage that gets put out, and looking at the scoreboard and seeing some of the performances that were put out, around the NFL there was one shutout and then six games in total where one of the teams involved didn't get double-digit points. I mean, we're talking baseball scores here. This is football. One touchdown gets you seven points. How do you not get ten? Chris, I, I don't understand. I mean... I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. Your quarterback, Scott Tolzien. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the only excuse I'm willing to buy, because that guy sucks. First pass... I, Pick six. I understand that there's always going to be some extenuating circumstances and that this is only week one. So I'm going to take it all with a grain of salt, but I want you to put some things into perspective. First and foremost, in 2016, an NFL team was held to three points or less seven times in the entire season. It happened three times yesterday. Yesterday. By yesterday, week. we mean Sunday. Yeah. According to Pro Football Talk, Sunday's passing yardage was down 14%, and rushing yardage was down 21% when you consider 2016's weekly averages. So this would, this would have made the worst week offensively for football all year last year. 
if you averaged everything out. And then nine quarterbacks, nine starting quarterbacks threw for less than 200 yards and only three of them won their games. I I understand having a remember when Bills fans would bitch when Ty, when we would win a football game and Tyrod Taylor would throw 185 yards and a touchdown with no picks. Sounds like a decent week for him. That apparently that sounds like a decent week for most of the NFL on Sunday. I mean there was a lot of shit football getting thrown out there on the field. I'm going to hope I mean, I'm going to hope that a lot of it was due to lack of playing time for your season starters during the preseason. I mean, that's a real thing. When you step back and think about it, in the preseason, you're playing, you know, if you think about who your starting 11 are going to be on each side of the ball, odds are those guys aren't getting a whole lot of reps come live game action, the preseason games. They play a series or two in the first game, a series or two in the second game, you know, a quarter, and then a half in the third game. So to come out and play a full four-quarter football game at full intensity, I think that that's asking a lot, considering how much they get coddled all preseason. And so this type of stuff is to be expected. But having said that, I think it kind of puts it into perspective that Tyrod Taylor, for all of his detractors out there, didn't have that bad of a day. And that brings us to our recap of this week's Buffalo Bills-New York Jets game. The Bills win 21-12. First off, Tyrod Taylor's passing numbers. 16 of 28, 57% completion percentage, two touchdowns, one interception, and a 92.0 QBR. Team rushing comparison. Buffalo, 190 yards. New York Jets, 38 yards. 23 first downs gained for the Buffalo Bills versus 11 first downs allowed. 10 plays of 15 or more yards on offense. And then, finally, Tyrod Taylor passing in the middle of the field, 6 of 6, 117 yards. Give it to me, baby. Woo! Excellent. We got, what, 15 more games of that left, (laughs) and then we get a new quarterback. I mean, that's where I'm going to start all this, is talking about Tyrod Taylor. You can all go ahead and bitch about it. I mean, God knows I did. I didn't like a lot of what I saw from the stands on Sunday early on in the football game. Now that I've taken a step back, gotten to look at everything, see the film, I feel a lot better about it. By taking a step back, we mean sober. (laughs) You you say tomato, I say tomato. First of all, everyone could see it that Tyrod Taylor was struggling in the first half. I mean, what was the score at halftime? Seven to six? That's, That's not exactly stellar football by any stretch of the imagination. That sounds like a team that's in like the 20s, our rankings. Uh, You could tell just watching him play, he was having a hard time getting into a rhythm just right out of the gate. And I'm sure that you guys, just as well as I did, cussed and maybe punched some things at that goal line interception, which, while it was not completely Taylor's fault because the ball did get picked, excuse me, tipped by another player at the goal line, it made everyone in attendance want to do a combination of cry and scream at the person next to them And I think I did a little bit of both. But at the same time, there was a lot to like about the way Tyrod played. I mean, I'll say this. First of all, he finished the game with a pair of touchdown passes. That's more than you can say for half of the quarterbacks in the NFL this weekend. Drew Brees finished with no touchdown passes. Zero. Wrong. Because I got fucked in fantasy. Colby Fleener. Oh, that's right. It was garbage. I remember that garbage time touchdown pass. 
Oh. So, meaningful touchdowns. No, there was a lot of quarterbacks who didn't get any. Second of all, one of the things that I saw from Tyrod, just from the stands, and again, the film backed it up, was that I he's gained some vision. Now, CoverOne.net, our buddy Eric Turner, did a great breakdown, and he put a lot of the clips, uh, the GIF images on Twitter. I suggest you go check them out, at CoverOne. You know, just go, go find him. Even standing from a couple hundred yards away and watching the game, I noticed that he was hesitating on many of his throws, which in some cases involved throwing the ball away completely. But that's not the worst thing in the entire world. One of my biggest complaints about Tyrod was that he was constantly trying to make a play to the point where he would sometimes take sacks. He would lose yardage unnecessarily. Don't run out of bounds two yards behind the sticks simply because no one's open or because you can't find a running lane. Throw the ball away. He showed that presence about himself. One of the other things I noticed is that it seems like he has some sort of pocket awareness now that he didn't used to have. There was a play early on in the game. Again, cover one, threw it out there. I saw it from the stands where he drops back to pass, gets flushed out of the pocket. The pass rush was coming. Our offensive line, they, they blitzed. He couldn't beat it. But then he got away from the pressure, and instead of just running, which is what he would have done any one of the last two seasons, he stepped up back into the pocket and found LaShawn McCoy for almost a 15-yard game. That is the quarterback that we're going to need to see more of. And at the same time, Eric pointed out a great instance of a play that I didn't even realize was happening. He had a play which was a designed, it was basically designed, it was a timing route that he was supposed to throw to Andre Holmes up the seam. Andre Holmes was going to run a curl about seven yards, eight yards out. He was going to turn around to be open for the pass. Tyrod Taylor takes the snap, looks, takes his three-step drop, and goes to throw and realizes that there's bracket coverage on him. He pump fakes, slides under the pressure from the defensive end, rolls out, and throws the ball away. Yes, at the time, standing in the stands, I watch that, and I say, oh, what's this idiot doing? Watching the film, you realize he knew that that was going to be an interception, and he had the the poise to say, okay, that's a bad call. I'm going to roll out, see if I can find anybody else, and instead of taking a sack, I'm going to dump the ball off. That's NFL quarterback, that's NFL quarterback material right there. Cool, we got 15 more games of that. <laughs> Can't wait. I don't know, I just, I think that he's grown I think I'm seeing signs that he has, in fact, grown as a passer from last year to this year. So everyone who's saying, oh, he's terrible, nah, we're tanking because we're putting him in, it's the same thing as the Sabres trading away all their goalies when they wanted to be Sounds bad. like me, but we didn't trade away all our goalies. We traded away our best players for picks. That's what we're doing with the Bills. Go out in the street let's fight. <laughs> South Buffalo street fight right now. Chris, I'll break bottles over your face. You're the worst, Chris. And you're also a terrible drunk and you have the upper body strength of a 14-year-old, so I'm pretty sure that's a terrible idea for you. And then there's the middle of the field. Everyone, myself included, has gotten on Tyrod Taylor over the years for being too risk-averse and not throwing down the middle of the field, which is where most of your yards after the catch happen. I mean, that's it. It is rare that a wide receiver gets uh, gets behind a cornerback and a safety down the sideline. So usually it's a busted coverage somewhere in the middle of a field, a miscommunication between a linebacker and a safety or a cornerback and a safety, and it presents an open window where a wide receiver can catch the ball in stride and then generate more yards. Well, I will say that throwing over the field, Tyrod Taylor was 6-for-6. Six six. He hit... Jordan Matthews only caught two passes, but he had 61 yards, I think is what he finished with. 
One of them was from almost 40. Some of his biggest plays of the day came when he stepped up in the pocket, surveyed the field, and then threw a strike down the middle of the field to a wide receiver in stride. I have never seen that version of Tyrod Taylor. Now, yes, you can say that you can say that it was against the Jets. Oh, the Jets are terrible. Anyone should be able to play flag football against these guys. Well, you know what? I'll say that that's a he's a, he he looked on Sunday like a far cry from the guy that I watched and berated for the last two years. So yes, Chris, we may still be in the market for a quarterback. I'm not saying he's the heir apparent to our franchise spot as quarterback. What I'm saying is I'm encouraged by what I saw. Now, you know who wasn't encouraged by what they saw on Sunday? Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about this next clip we're about to play? Joe Benino, WFAN in New York. I can't even credit. I don't even. It came on my Facebook, so I can't. I forget who I should give credit to for supplying the clip, but Joe Benino, WFAN, week one, already in his Jets rant. I am tired of hearing how great this defensive line is. They are. They stink. Mohamed Wilkerson mailed it in. Leonard Williams. You know, what's so great about Leonard Williams? Tell me what's so great. His hair? Seriously. I'm tired of hearing how damn good Leonard Williams is because he's not that good. The linebackers are horrible. They can't cover me out of the backfield, and I got a bad hip. I got to watch Buster Screen miss yet another tackle. It was a description. You could get on the offense. We know the offense stinks. I get it. They couldn't run the ball. Yada, yada. They're never going to win a game. If Josh McCown has to win a game for you, they can't run the football. I get it. This, to me, the defense was so bad yesterday. I, 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 was, well, so, I was disgusted. And I'm tired of hearing about their great defensive line. You know what? Wilkerson mailed in another game. He batted down one stupid pass. And Leonard Williams, I'm tired of hearing how great he is. You know, he's okay. He's not that great. Joe Benino, WFAN in New York City. Accent sounds a lot like CJ from the Jets Factor. (laughs) What I'll say is this. This guy, clearly upset. You know what, Bills fans? After a week! Listen to that, and thank God that we aren't in those shoes today. Okay, I've avoided WGR as I usually do the day after games, wins or losses, because I don't want them to taint my own thought process. I don't want them to their opinions to kind of taint my own opinions. Ultimately, that's hilarious because that very well could be what we sounded like if we had lost that football game. And Drew, that's going to sound like you in two weeks. I'm sure it will. But that day is not today, sir. Not today. And one of the big reasons why was LaShawn McCoy. Vintage performance from LaShawn McCoy, folks. There was a lot of grumbling amongst the fan base. I heard it. Those of you out there who want to deny it, you're liars. A lot of people started bitching and complaining when it was announced that McCoy had been given extra incentives to his existing contract. You know, everyone, oh, he's almost 30. Why are we throwing more money at this guy? Blah, 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 blah. You know what? I know for a fact that some of you, some of you out there, who I know by first name, who complain about McCoy being a damn near 30-year-old running back and question his overall value, hopefully hopefully Sunday shut you right up, okay? He was electric. 159 total yards from scrimmage, 49 of it coming through the air. In all honesty, I sometimes wonder if I'm not somehow getting too accustomed to that type of play from LaShawn McCoy because I wasn't dumbstruck by a 159-yard performance from a line bit, from our running back. I mean, Chris, are we becoming too accustomed to LaShawn McCoy just being fantastic? Yeah, he is a great running back. The- and because 
we are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You want to win for some reason, and the way the trades have gone down for us, I want to tank. <laughs> you know, if if we lose like five in a row here, I'd love to see Shady traded for a second or a third while his value's high like this, see, playing like this behind a crap football team. See, I'll tell you this, though. I don't think that that's enough. A second-round pick, a third-round pick, I don't think it's enough. I mean, I'm— For I was, a running back? In the fourth quarter of punch you. in the fourth quarter of Sunday's game, I'm sitting in the stands, wishing our offense was a little more consistent. And then on the drive home, I realized this is what McCoy does. He's consistent. He's consistently putting on strong performances to the point where it's literally almost easy to overlook them as just oh, that's just another game. That's just another 150 yard performance on a shady because that's what he does. Yeah, he's great. And to hear him talk about it, his day could have been a lot bigger. Kind of crazy is that uh the. I guess the pass numbers are pretty cool, but um, we didn't even run a lot of my, my plays as far as um, me being the main target, um, the, the play design for me in the passing game, which we had a lot listed. That's LaShawn McCoy from his interview at BuffaloBills.com. To hear him admit that we haven't seen any of the specific plays designed to get him the ball in the passing game, and to see that he still beat out all but one of the Jets' receivers for receiving yardage, in a game where they attempted 39 passes is something worth taking note of. And that could be a big boon to Tyrod Taylor in some of the games that we're going to run up against some stout defenses here in the future. Another topic of this game I want to talk about. Our defense against the run and our defense against the pass. I mean, you want to talk about Jekyll and Hyde. We held the Jets to only 38 yards rushing. And our defensive line pretty consistently won the battle for the line of scrimmage. But that performance might have done more harm than good in the long run when you consider what else we and every other team in football learned about the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. To say that our linebackers struggled in pass protection would be a gross understatement. The Jets went away from running the ball and went to an offense based on short, quick passes which effectively neutralized our pass rush. Now, when you look at the numbers behind that, it's concerning. Here's what I see. Of the Jets' 39 passes, 28 of them went to the short left, short right areas of the field, and McCown, he got 64% of those passes that were defended by, you know, edge defenders, cornerbacks, getting in the faces of wide receivers on shallow hook routes and things of that nature. When he threw over the short middle of the field, which in a 4-3 defense is essentially the responsibility of either a safety in the box or of a linebacker, they completed 100% of the seven passes they attempted there. I'm talking seven passes, seven completions, and by my count, that's 50. What is that? Give me 50, give me 58, give me 62, give me... What's that, another seven? So give me 69, almost 70 yards of passing offense came against our linebackers in the passing game. Now, maybe that's just part of the 4-3 defense. Bend, but don't break. Give up the three-yard pass. Give up the four-yard pass. Don't give up the 50-yard pass by blitzing. Maybe that's maybe that's what Leslie Frazier's going to do with Preston Brown. and Maybe that's what we're going to do. Maybe we haven't seen some of the most complex defensive uh, concepts yet. I don't know. What I do know 
is that it looked like they were really bad at covering the middle of the field. If I'm an opposing offensive coordinator and I see those types of numbers from a a painfully mediocre quarterback and a subpar group of wide receivers, I am absolutely going to consider that when I'm putting together my game plan against the Buffalo Bills. And when you consider the caliber of the quarterback that we have coming up on our schedule, that's going to be a problem if Leslie Frazier can't figure that out. I mean, Chris, does that concern you at all? Or are you still in this, oh, we're going to tank. Do you not care on a week-to-week basis about the nuances of what might help or hurt our team? I'm, I'm all for tanking. <laughs> I hate you. That's why I hate you, too. How did you uh, finish out with that Magic Hat? Because it looks like you're done. I'll tell you, the Magic Hat was really good. I, I, folks, if you can get your hands on a Magic it says it's a limited run here on the bottle. Magic Hat jinx. It's very drinkable, and for a Scotch Ale, it doesn't taste like it's 7% alcohol, but it comes in at 6.9. It's drinkable. I'd say get a 6-pack, not a 12-pack, because it might put you to sleep after 2 or 3. And then one of the last points about Sunday's game I want to talk about. Fan engagement. Okay, now I know that Sean McDermott said all the right things. You know, he said the fans were great. Oh, they were loud all afternoon. And you heard the players, oh, this is our home field. We had to support our fans. You know, we, we wanted to give them a show. We needed to protect home field advantage. I will say that I sit in section 200, row 7, seat 15, over there in the rock pile by the scoreboard. I will say that anybody who sat within 30 yards of my seat, you can kiss my ass, okay? Because the majority of you sat there on your phones watching, doing God knows what, instead of paying attention to the friggin' football game. Does this include Lacell, who apparently waved at you and you didn't... I'm sorry, I was too busy focusing on things that mattered, like the game on the field and the asshats around me who had no engagement in the football game whatsoever. I don't know if it's because it was... This is what I've come to believe after talking to some people who who know a thing or two about football who may also be season ticket holders out there. Maybe it's just a byproduct of people already packing it in for the season and your regular, you know, rabid fan base, season ticket holders selling their seats off to people who just want to be there, who just want to be able to say, hey, I showed up for the game. That's great. That's all well and good. If you just want to be there so that you can put it on Foursquare or you can check in on Facebook to say, hey, I was at the Bills game. Oh, look at me. I'm going to put a selfie of myself with the scoreboard in the background. And then you're going to sit on your ass and not pay attention to the football game. I don't want you there. Or at least I definitely don't want you sitting within 15 feet of me. Folks, Drew Gear just <laughs> described me two weeks from now at the Broncos game. <laughs> I, I stood there on third down, third and five, Ball on inside of our 30. They're on our end of the field. It's our time to get loud, make some noise, help out the defense. Let's go. Let's be a part of this. And I looked around, and I was the only one doing I was the only one standing up for 15 feet in any direction. I was the only one standing up. And I had people looking at me like I was somehow out of place. I'm sorry. I expect better out of Bills fans. I do. I don't care if the, you all think that we're tanking this season. Don't come to the game and sit in my section. Like I said, 200, row 7, seat 15. Don't come and sit next to me if you're going to have a problem with somebody who wants to support the football team. Get off your phone. Don't be looking at Snapchat when it's third down. Okay, Pay attention to what the hell's going on in the field. Word in the stands because you'll be wearing a luchador mask. (laughs) 
El muchacho e guapo e gordo. The man yeah. who is handsome and fat. I've taken up the monitor. That is my luchador persona. And uh, we're going to see where that goes. Yeah. Macho Libre. <laughs> yeah. So, as we do every week, we have to award a hero and a zero. This week's zero goes to Buffalo Bills offensive tackle Jordan Mills. We know that the Jets have one of the better defensive lines in the conference. And we also know that I'm not a big fan of Jordan Mills. But the numbers speak for themselves. Every time the Bills tried to run off right tackle, they were only able to gain five yards on seven attempts. That's pathetic. When you have a running back who is as good as LaShawn McCoy is, that it's not acceptable. And then, you know, I've heard, oh, why don't they pull that bomb? Why don't they put Deion Dawkins out there? Well, unfortunately, because of Cody Glenn's foot injury, he's been only playing two-thirds of the snaps over the course of the game. That's what happened on Sunday. Deion Dawkins has been filling in at left tackle for Cordy Glenn, which is taking away from our depth at right tackle. So unfortunately, we have to keep putting this bum out there on an island to try to do his job. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know what to do. There, there is no answer for Jordan Mills. There's no answer for that as long as Cordy Glenn is still struggling to come back from that foot injury. We are stuck with the status quo but I'll tell you, to say that he sucks would be an it would be an insult to everything else that sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, we do have six picks in the first three <laughs> rounds next year. Shut up, Chris! And that brings me to this week's hero, which would be Jordan Poyer. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world! Woo! I noticed him being drunk on my couch. Because it seemed like he was just involved in like almost in almost every play, almost like almost like a running back when whether it's a run to the left or the right, and you're waiting for that cutback. It always felt like Jordan Poyer was doing that defensively, waiting, and maybe there's that cutback lane, and then he hits that <laughs> hole, and the running back gets nothing. That's what it felt like for me, Chris. Hearing you talk about cutback lanes and oh my god, you're it's it, amazing what six beers will do. Th- this must be what like a father watching his son, like you take the training wheels off the bike and you shove them, and he can actually keep it upright for for three blocks. I feel bad for your children. That I has wish, to be that feeling. That, that, wish, that must be what I I'm wish feeling. Nowhere to to be known as. <laughs> Of you being a father figure in my life. Folks, what I know is that it would have been low-hanging fruit for me to give the game ball to LaShawn McCoy. Because, I mean, he could end up with it every single week, given how much he's utilized in our game plan. Instead, I went with the guy who was the mo- most impressive to me that I didn't expect. Okay, Pro Football Focus gave Jordan Poyer the highest grade of anybody to step on the field for the for us this Sunday. He just And he passed the eye test from the stands. He was everywhere. Pass breakup, a sack, an interception, and he played every single snap of the game. He's the only person to do that besides the offensive lineman and the quarterback. Like, every single snap that was afforded to them to take, he took. He was on the field for every single defense. That's incredible. And I think that the reason I was so impressed was because I didn't have any faith in this guy. He was a free agent signing in the offseason, and I said, ah, Jordan Poyer, Late round draft pick of the Browns. Of the Browns. Signed somebody from Cleveland. And he did, so Cleveland didn't fight to keep him. So how good could he possibly be? Well, I'll tell you, he balled out on Sunday. 
He might not be the most talented person at safety, but he fits what we want on defense. Mm-hmm. No, he he fits the scheme, and I didn't have his. I didn't have faith in his ability to be the true free safety, but he looked the part on Sunday. I'm hoping that this does a lot for his confidence because this week he's going to need it. Now, we have a segment here that we're going to unveil, guys. I don't know if you noticed, but the Bills are 1-0, and the Browns are 0-1. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River. Nate Geary. Rolling into Cleveland to the lake. They will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. There's a red moon rising. Hot takes of Lake Erie. Rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's an oil. Folks, a month or two ago, Nate Geary was on my podcast, sitting in my basement, sucking down some beers, talking football, and he made the bold decision to enter into a Seagram's bet with us that the 2017 Cleveland Browns will have a better record than the Buffalo Bills. Hey, the Browns going to Browns when you give up a block punt on your first possession. <laughs> and it was the long snapper's fault. Well, jerk off, I hope you're listening to this because we're already plus one in that bet. The Browns lost this weekend 18-21 to to the Pittsburgh Steelers, giving up seven sacks and a blocked punt for a touchdown. And according to my friend, Greg Trelone, that victory means that Ben Roethlisberger now has a higher winning percentage in Cleveland than any Cleveland quarterback in history. Correct. Big Ben's got more wins than any Cleveland quarterback since 99 in Cleveland. Nice job, Browns, and good luck next week against the Ravens. And while we're recapping things around the league, let's jump right into this week's AFC East Roundup. First and foremost, we know what happened to the Jets. They got smashed. The Dolphins, however, got canceled. The Dolphins didn't play this week because Hurricane Irma forced them to evacuate the state. And while it sounds like Hard Rock Stadium survived the weather with no significant damage, I mean, pro football talk, according to them, the team has released a statement saying that the field, the, the canopy that they put over the open exposed area of the stadium held and that there's no structural damage. The team is still in a lot of trouble. There's because only of, structural damage to their color scheme. <laughs> still orange one, and teal. One could only one could only hope because anything would be better than orange and teal. Because of the timing of the incident and the fact that they have a London game that the league is just too greedy to lose, the Dolphins now have to play their week one matchup against Tampa Bay in week 11, which means that they won't have a bye week. The Dolphins literally have to play 16 consecutive games with no break. That sucks, but it couldn't have happened to a nicer bunch of guys. Cheers. <gasps> Woo! I'll drink to that. Oh, something else I'm willing to drink to. I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, something happened, I don't know, maybe last Thursday night. Maybe you guys were busy. You had something else to do. The Patriots lost. On Thursday night football in front of the entire country by a margin of, to the Kansas City Chiefs, by a margin of 47 to 27. They, I thought it was 42 to 27. 42 to 27. Mm, 
I thought they were almost doubled up. Maybe I miscounted the score. Because Who cares? you're drunk. I'll drink to that. All I know is that that game, I couldn't eat breakfast the next morning because it was the game was so delicious. I just couldn't stop taking it all in. I was too full from just from just taking all of that game in. The New England Patriots, we're, we're, we've grown accustomed to this. The Patriots struggle early in the season. You know, they have an up and down game here and there. They win a game, they lose a game, they start two and two, and everyone starts questioning, well, is this the end? Is this the end? That's you calling in to show up in the Bulldog <laughs> after that we're on to Cincinnati. That's game. true. But also 42-27. 42-27. All right. So what I will say is this though. Anyone who watched the full football game could see it. That defense is a shell of what a what a Bill Belichick prepared defense is supposed to be. That's it doesn't concerning. help that Hightower was injured. Okay, but Hightower's injury, what, is one guy your whole defense? Yes. <laughs> your outside linebacker shouldn't be the entire defense. Well, who else how, has any how talent? About your, how about your $40 million cornerback in Stephon Gilmore? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. You're right, maybe. <laughs> Stephon, are you happy that you're on pro- – are you happy that you're finally on TV where people can see you, you schmuck? Screw that guy for taking shots at Buffalo. I will see him in hell. He's toast. He got burned by Tyreek Hill for a long touchdown. Then the Patriots went on to allow not only the most yardage and the most points in an A opening game of any season under Bill Belichick. They did surrender 21 in the fourth. They, the most points ever allowed in the Bill Belichick era in game one. They also allowed Kareem Hunt, new running back for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, to set the NFL record for yards from scrimmage for any player in his very first game. And he fumbled on the first <laughs> his first carry. He fumbled. The fact is, the Patriots got the piss kicked out. It just, just the piss beat out of them. And I loved every second of it. In fact, I recorded everything from halftime on and rewatched it after my girlfriend went to bed. Oh, I mean, some guys... That sounds like a lot of Bills fans with the, some, with the uh, greatest comeback. You don't even watch the first half. You some guys watch go, the second. Some guys sneak away, you know, in the middle of the night to go watch Spank Revision. Not me. I'm re-watching the second half of that Patriots game because, man, does that make me hot. Woo! <laughs> the Patriots, I, 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 they're going to be fine. They're going to play the Saints. Okay, next week, they go up against the Saints. One of the worst defenses in football. You they have been Monday for the night. last three years, and on Monday Night Football, it was more than apparent that their defense is not NFL caliber. So, that being said, I expect them to rebound, and it'll be interesting to see where the standings fall, considering where we're headed this week. That brings us to our Week 2 preview, Buffalo Bills at Carolina Panthers. First and foremost, happens at Bank of America Stadium in Carolina. The weather, mostly cloudy, 85 degrees. Don't know who the official is yet. It hasn't been announced. And the spread? The spread? I don't know. I the feel- spread, according to my Yahoo Sports app, Carolina, eight and a half. Wow. Bills, big underdogs. Probably biggest underdogs. As underdog- they should be. Probably biggest underdogs of the week. Okay? Notable injury news. For the Buffalo Bills, EJ Gaines. Cornerback, he had a shoulder injury. Now, he left Sunday's game with what McDermott refers to as a shoulder bruise. 
But according to reports, he didn't seem concerned, which means it's likely we see him in some capacity as long as he can practice before Sunday. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't cut a corner no. bring in a linebacker if, if you, this was a huge If your problem. starting corner was about to go down and you thought depth was an issue. And then Cordy Glenn left tackle with a foot injury. Now, he's been struggling with his health heading into the season, and you saw it on multiple times Sunday where Dawkins had to step in for a series or two later in the game just to kind of give him a break. I think that happened at the point where the coaching staff knew. I I almost wonder if it was not a necessity and it was more so, hey, look, why push this? Why risk injuring our left tackle? If we can throw this kid out there and let him do an adequate job, get him some reps. But, again, it doesn't make sense to have that Chris, I don't know what to make of it. It's easy. <laughs> Courtney Glenn this week will just be getting a uh, a bunch of foot rehab from Team Doctor Rex Ryan. Oh my God, You're t- what a jackass! I'm I know that Courtney Glenn will play. I don't know that he'll practice as much throughout the course of the week, but I, and I also don't know if they won't continue subbing him out until they believe he's a hundred percent, which I guarantee you he won't be on Sunday. So that brings us to the scouting reports. Chris, on offense, first and foremost, Cam Newton. Who is Cam Newton going into the 2017 season? War Eagle. (laughs) Screw Auburn, roll tide. This past week, the Panthers played a rebuilding 49ers team. And, I mean, you look at the scoreboard, and it looks completely lopsided. They trashed him. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Cam Newton. He sat the whole preseason. And he's clearly not back up to speed and on the same page with his wide receivers. I mean, you talk to people who didn't like what Tyrod Taylor was doing. Cam Newton's stats might have actually made you physically ill. 14 of 25, 56% completion percentage, 171 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and two fumbles, one of which was lost. They were 7 of 13 on third down conversions, good for 53%. And while you can debate that Tyrod Taylor often struggles as a passer, I mean, you think about what he brings to the table as a quarterback. He supplements his arm by being a dynamic threat with his feet, which is why people try to keep him in the pocket. Cam Newton's cut from that same cloth, except he's bigger and more physical to handle it. In this game, Newton had just two rushes for six yards, both of which were to the sidelines, directly out, just trying to get away from pressure. I expect our defensive line to pose a much bigger threat to what is, I'll call it a mediocre Carolina offensive line. I mean, the hope is is that we're going to be able to capitalize on some of that, a combination of his rust and our pressure into making mistakes and negative plays. I mean, we have to be banking on that. Chris, what do you think about it? Uh, This seems like the week that Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey get in sync. Because I don't think we really have a chance to win this. I agree with that spread, eight and a half. Really? Now, I will say this. I agree with your take on the running backs. Hey, hey, why don't we we get it started? I know you can't hear me. I'm away from my mic. We'll start at eight and a half. A Seagram's bet. Already. It's early in the season to be pulling those out. Eight and a half, Carolina. I will take the Buffalo Bills plus eight and a half. Done deal. There it is. You all heard it? If not, if if I'm right, Chris has to drink a Seagram Sangria. 
Yeah, this was from last season. <laughs> Do they have an expiration date? You're about to find out. Speaking of running back driven offense, Christian McCaffrey. Now, I don't know if the stats of Cam Newton were a byproduct of rust or maybe just his offensive coordinator putting together a conservative game plan. I will say this. When the Panthers selected Christian McCaffrey in the top 10 of the draft, you knew that they were going to get him quickly integrated into their offensive game plans on a a week-to-week basis. Looking at his numbers, he he was the most targeted person on the team. Seven times they went to him in the passing attack. Now you think about that. Kelvin Benjamin got four targets. Greg Olson got four. Wide receivers Devin Funches and Russell Shepard each got two. He was also given 13 carries. He had 20 total touches of the ball compared to everyone else on that offense. You combine that with Jonathan Stewart's 18 carries and his one receiving touchdown. Here's what I see. They made a point, instead of making Cam Newton come out and win that football game, they leaned on the skill sets of their running backs. They didn't make Cam carry the load. I'm I'm guessing that that's a call by the offensive coordinator. I mean, especially considering that their offensive line has kind of been up and down over the last few years. I mean, you think about last year. The regression happened because Cam Newton was a punching bag behind what was a shitty offensive line. By my count, they haven't gotten that much better. It's going to be interesting to see how the Panthers try to attack the Buffalo Bills. I mean, did they take the training wheels off Cam Newton this week? Do they let him just start trying to throw the ball around? Or do they play it conservative again and let the running backs carry the load? I think they're going to try to get McCaffrey involved. Because what we said at the top of this segment Cam Newton didn't get a whole lot of preseason action, so he didn't have a whole lot of chemistry with McCaffrey. Hmm? And you don't know when then that's going to, what game it is that that's going to click. So do you just keep riding it until it does? We well, keep trying. Just, that, why, why would you draft McCaffrey in the top 10? You want to get him integrated in the offense as soon as you can. I don't know. I just look at it from a standpoint of if I'm a if I'm an offensive coordinator and I'm looking at playing the Buffalo Bills with who I have from the Carolina Panthers as a personnel staff, you know, for my personnel, I see a great opportunity to dink and dunk my way through progressions using my running backs. I mean, that's what the Jets did. My, my a thing, lot of short area completions, which we know Cam Newton can throw. My thing, my thing right now is in my drunken state. Christian McCaffrey is football speed fast. So I'm going to assume or we're going to throw like a linebacker on him if he gets into the flat. Like how does our linebacker match up with against McCaffrey? Well, that's is it. My, it's going to be my question for it's you. It's going to be that. Well, that's it for me personally. I'll Answer touch, my question. My, for me personally, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I have a, a threat like McCaffrey, it's a lot like playing against Darren Sproles. You know, you've got a guy who can roll out. You can find him. In, you can find him in the flat for yardage. You can run him up the middle. You can run him to the edge of a defense. You can th- let him get into a passing lane, go out and get behind the linebackers, and turn around and catch a curl route. There's a lot of things that you can do with Christian McCaffrey, and he is a dangerous playmaker if he's allowed to get out. I would almost set a safety just to keep a spy on Christian McCaffrey. I would set a spy on him when he's on the field. 
just to see where he is and what he's doing. Because if he's the he's the one guy. Right now, I look at their offense. You know what Greg Olson is. You know what Kelvin Benjamin are. They're two big, consistent targets who are not speed threats. They're not going to burn you. What they will do is they will just outsize you. That's fine. I will, you know, I'll fight that fight as a defensive coordinator. One thing I can't do is allow someone who has the breakaway speed that Christian McCaffrey does and the utility, you know, the ability. You look at where they played Christian McCaffrey this week. The Panthers put him at slot receiver. They put him at running back. They put him out as a wide receiver. They played him all over the football field, just trying to engineer ways to get the ball in his hands. I absolutely believe that he's a guy who you have to put a spy on, whether it's your, you know, whether it's your Jordan Poyer, whether it's, you know, whatever your fastest linebacker is. If you want to put Ramon Humber on him and just say, Humber, your job is to babysit this kid and figure out where he's going to go. That's how I would handle it. Do I know that that's correct? No. Speaking of defensive game plans, let's take a look at the defensive side of the ball for Carolina. First and foremost, it starts with the linebacking core. Carolina has arguably the best linebacking core in the NFL, period. That's it. They are a massive step up in competition from the New York Jets, who might have the league's weakest interior linebacking group. I mean, you think about what Tyrod was able to do last week over the middle of the field. That's going to become so much more difficult to come by on Sunday. Against the 49ers, their linebackers together between... Luke Keekley, Shaq Thomas, and Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley are two perennial pro bowlers. And Shaq, Tom, Shaq Thompson was a first-round draft pick two years ago. They compiled a stat line of 14 tackles, two sacks, one interception, and a ton of just hammer shots as tackles. I mean, you just look at what they are, I would not expect to come into a game and just be able to play into the teeth of that. That's brutal. That's brutal. I, I just, I see them giving us fits all afternoon on Sunday. Part of that is supplemented by the fact that they have a great defensive line. The other thing that stands out when I watch the tape, their cornerbacks and safeties don't do anything special. I mean, they, they very much do have a... I sh- maybe I shouldn't say this, but they have a mediocre group of cornerbacks and safeties. They do. There's no one special on their roster. You know, they don't have your, there's no Ed Reed. There's no, uh, what would you say? There's no Eric Berry. There's no uh, Josh Norman. Well, they nope. did lose the guy that can coach <clears throat> that. That. Because he's here. And they lost their coach. So now they're dealing with a new defensive coordinator. But having said that, their defensive line and their linebacking core supplements the rest of the defense. I mean, you look at that defensive line, the interior is going to be a, a, just a handful for our offensive line. You look at the Jets, Muhammad Wilkerson looked like he was asleep for most of the game. Their star defensive tackle, whose name is Star Lodalele, completely terrorized the 49ers offensive line all day. He was just in everyone's face. He was constantly in the backfield. Yes, Kyle Shanahan, new coach of the 49ers, did admit that he abandoned the run too early in the game last week. But at the same time, the 49ers only managed nine total yards rushing up the middle all day. Nine friggin' yards. I feel like that if you put Chris at fullback and me at running back, 
we could maybe get nine yards by accident at some point over the course of a complete football game against an NFL defensive line. These guys could only get nine yards up the gut all day. That is a that is a byproduct of Kawan Short next to Star Lodalele. Kawan Short, Star, both Pro Bowlers, apparently both healthy and motivated to play this season. Well, how do you how is how do you take our offensive line to take away Star from terrorizing us as he did the 49ers? You're gonna have to just run the ball away from him. That's the problem. A guy like that, he's too big, he's too strong. It's it's going to be very difficult to try to take him on one-on-one. Even combination blocks, you're pulling blockers away from somebody else. They run the same kind. They still have the personnel, and they still run the same aggressive 4-3 scheme that, we, that McDermott ran when he was there and that we now run because McDermott is here. So when you think about it, imagine the, imagine the flip side of our defense. Imagine our defense playing our offensive line. Star Lodalele is there, Marcel Darius. Are you going to single cover Marcel? Absolutely no. not. You're going to commit multiple blockers to him. You're going to have either Incognito or Miller and Wood. Okay, okay. But what about Kawan Short? Because Kawan Short's no slouch either at D-tackle. I don't know who that is. Eh, well, you're gonna on Sunday because that dude will get in your face quickly. Kawan Short is a beast at defensive tackle. So now you've got two monster defensive tackles that you got to wrangle. Plus, you have to deal with the fact that they have a, a defensive end in Mario Addison. Get to know the name. He is going to give our offensive line fits. He's going to play mostly on the right side of the defensive offensive line where we know John Miller isn't very good. And I, I, John Miller struggled with Leonard Williams last week, which is to be expected. Leonard Williams is top five pick. He's a very good NFL player. But that being said, Miller and Mills next to each other are the weak link in the offensive line, and to know that they're going to have Kawan Short and Mario Addison on that side of the line. Mario Addison, he's a he's a pass rusher. That's his specialty. Up against a guy the caliber of Mills, I expect this to be a repeat of last year's Dolphins games, where Cam Wake just came in and spanked him, pulled his pants down in front of everybody. It's... I don't know. I just I think that those two aspects of their defense are going to give us a really difficult time on Sunday. So how do we win? How do we win? Well, I've got I've got three in this week's keys to Bills' victory. First and foremost is success running the ball out of multiple receiver sets. Okay, if I'm if I'm an offensive coordinator and I have to game plan against this defense. First and foremost, I'm going to recognize that those linebackers are the best players on the field. I'm going to try to remove as many of them from the field as I can. I'm going to show you some three wide. I'm going to show you some four wide sets. I'm going to get wide receivers out on the perimeter that's going to force you to put cornerbacks on the field in lieu of linebackers. That right there gives me a higher probability of success. I mean, yes, it does take my tight ends away as blocking options, but... It takes your linebackers off the field who are ultimately far more talented as far as run-stopping capabilities go. Second of all, pressure the quarterback. I don't know if it's because it's rusty by design. Cam Newton doesn't look his usual athletic self. We have got to try to pressure the quarterback with four down linemen. Drop guys into coverage because you're going to have to keep Greg Olson and Kelvin Benjamin off of our... 
those two guys have the size that you can't easily match up with. You can't. You got a tight end who's about 6'4. You've got a wide receiver who's about 6'4. They're going to get up on you. And at that point, you could just huck it up and play pitch and catch because no one can get in the air to disrupt that throw. So you got to commit not only extra resources in the secondary to cover for those guys, at the same time, you got to make sure that you're putting the heat on the quarterback in order to hurry his throws. So we got to keep Cam Newton in the pocket and collapse it from the middle? Exactly. You're going to have to I'm find I'm so it. smart. I, I get smarter as I drink, folks. You're going to have to find a way to keep him in the pocket. Don't, don't wake up his mobility. Okay, Keep him where he is, but pressure him. Make sure that the pressure is consistent throughout the course of the game, because if not, he's going he's gonna to find ways to beat us with these gigantic receiving options that he has. I mean, even their third wide receiver, Devin Funches, the dude is huge. He's a former tight end playing wide receiver. It's, it's, just a, it's a big mismatch against any secondary in the NFL, and so you have to get after the quarterback while also contributing enough resources to your secondary to make sure that you have adequate coverage. And then the final key is just containing the Panthers' running backs. That's going to be, I honestly believe, that's the kryptonite year to the Carolina game plan. You don't spend a top 10 pick on a draft guy and not use him. Ron Rivera is smarter than that, so he is going to go out there and give McCaffrey the ball every opportunity that he can, early and often. And he's proven that he'll do it in a number of exotic ways, whether he has to play him at wide receiver, whether he has to line him up out wide. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to try to get McCaffrey into the game because they view him as a game-breaker. I expect to see a healthy dose of both running backs, and it's going to be on our linebackers this weekend to make sure that they corral them both and not gash our defense the way that they did against the 49ers because that's how you lose a game 23-3 to while your quarterback only throws 177 yards and f- turns the ball over two times. 23-3 to sounds good because that sounds greater than 8.5, which makes you drink a Seagram's. So is that your prediction for the game, Chris? Because that's where we're at. I We're will, at the part of the show where we get to pick the scores. What is your prediction for this week's Bills game? I will go 26-13 to 13 Carolina. 26-13. Wow. All right. I am willing to go 26 is high. Are we going to win or are we going to lose? I took the Bills plus eight. Okay. Plus eight and a half. I think we win this game. You're I do. High. I think that the, it's a test. Don't you get me wrong. You should be medicated. It, it's, a t- it's a test. I have confidence that the Bills can come in here and execute a game plan that wins. Can we beat the spread? Probably not. Well, no. I don't have to beat the spread. All I have to do is win by one. You have to win by nine. For me, I'm calling this a 21-20 victory for the Buffalo Bills. It's going to be actually 24-21. It's going to be a last-second field goal by Steven Hauschka. Yeah, right. Hauschka wins his very first football game for the Buffalo Bills. You're so high. That's not happening. Even if I'm wrong on the score, I'm calling it a field goal victory. And I don't care because you're going to be drinking Seagram's. You're drinking a Seagram's. Bitch. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for spending your time tonight coming out here talking some Bills football with us. I, I You can follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can also catch us on Grandstand Sports Network. GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. It's a radio station that we've built from the ground up that literally all day just streams po- professionally recorded amateur podcasts. 
from sports all over the country. Doesn't matter the genre, doesn't matter the team. You've got a ton of representation there. I urge you to go check it out, www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com. And I urge you to go to 506sports.com, one of my favorite websites to find out who's calling the game, where it's getting aired. That stuff's not out yet. It comes out Wednesday afternoon, 506sports.com. I assume it's going to be the Buffalo region and the Raleigh region. Hopefully, we get Spiro Ditas. We'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> Spiro Ditas. He's not even a great announcer. I just love saying his name. Folks, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for showing up tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.